like the real deal now. Ooh. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. to the Lowdown Wrestling Podcast. My name is Robert Fuller and returning to the show is the host of the Ami on the Air Podcast and part of the Red Dragons Network. It's Don Mecca. Don, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me back, man. Always fun to, to do this with you once a year or so. Yeah, so much. And uh, today we are talking about the main event of Bash in the Week 1996. And today we're going to get the start of the formation of the New World Order in WCW. And um, I think it's, it's a bit weird because, uh, I don't know if you feel differently, Don, is that with, w, with W now and W2, they kind of focus a lot of the lot of the bad stuff they did. But so it's sometimes easy to forget that they did some good stuff too, and this is definitely one of them. Oh, this is, as far as for me, this is the biggest thing that WCW has ever done. <laughs> um, I was never a big WCW fan at all. I've always been a WWE guy through and through. Um, but what took me to actually start watching WCW was when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall jumped ship. And from that point on, I was very interested to see where that journey was going to take us. And who would have known <laughs> it would have taken us to this step here? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because that's one thing I was going to ask you is that... Um... Were you a WCW fan at that point? But I presume you only started watching it when Kevin Nash and Scott all came out, went over. Yeah, I I was not a WCW fan at all, um, and I really never cared to watch them. Uh, at the time, here in the mid '90s, Kevin Nash, aka Diesel, you know, Diesel was my guy at that point, man. At, at this point in my love for wrestling, Kevin Nash was my favorite wrestler period you know and I, w- I was a massive diesel fan and when he left i was bummed out <laughs> and i was a big you know razor ramon fan as well so for the two of them to kind of bounce at the same time that made me turn on nitro and start saying okay i think i got to give these guys a chance because i want to see what my guys do <laughs> and you know i started watching that and i was and i love the way that they addressed it i love the way that they took the angle you know, by kind of making it feel like they were still with WWE and yeah. they were like invading WCW, and I thought that was very unique. And almost at that point, you know, we didn't have the we didn't have the resources that we have now. And uh, you were like, "Are they sent here by Vince McMahon? <laughs> like, what, what's going on here? Was this a was it was this a ploy?" Uh, so it was really cool, and it definitely got me to uh, start flipping the channel a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, um, with me, I didn't get to WCW until. Uh, about two, three months after the Finger Poker Doom. Um, but we are the TV deal we had in the UK was really weird because it was on um, I had a cable channel to a show Nitro, Thunder, and Flight of Night, but we never watched the pay per views. So we watched all this build up, and then we wanted to find out what happened. We were to like look onto the internet, we were still not off the internet 1999 was nowhere near what it is now. So you have to like, look at the website, oh, this is the results, and then so you know what, what happened like the Friday after it happened. 
Um, so pretty much the history behind this is that um, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash were signed over from uh, WWE to WCW. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Kevin Nash knows Diesel and Scott Hall knows Razor Ramon. Um, Hall makes his appearance in the May 27th um, edition of Monday Nitro and only announced and he's like Kevin is turning to face WCW and Eric Bischoff who was the executive vice, vice president and previously in charge of booking but the company was also one of the commentators and pretty much just challenged him all the time and uh, and pretty much other stuff and when you talk about Don about the whole social media thing that you know you weren't quite sure everyone remembered it correctly because um, a little podcast that kind of starts from 1996 to go through like, the whole history of WWE um, it got to the point where even though they never said WWE um, WWE would try concern so they pretty much like threatened to sue and there's one bit during this whole thing when uh, it was after when Nash debuts they pretty much ask well, are you with WWF and they go no so I thought that was you know everyone thought it was like a proper invasion um, with Nash he actually makes his debut in June 10th uh, and it starts to be referred to outsiders and um, and they're pretty much won the challenge of a six-man tag. Um, and Drake American Bash, which is like a week or two after that Nitro, Bishop tells him to accepted. Um, and Nash, being a nice guy, he is nice to power bomb him off the stage. Um, so he came through, and then the next night, they did a random drawing, and one of the Chavez, Sting, and Luger were chosen to face the outsiders. Uh, but the outsiders always said always said there's a fair man, there's a fair man, a fair man, but they never actually revealed it up to that point. Um so what do you think of like the build up before this match? I thought the build up was good. I mean, you know, it was I, I like that it was you know, we had Hall first and then we had Nash and then there was the promise of the third man, you know, and uh and I like that. I mean it was and it really had me thinking who the hell is this third man going to be, you know? And, and I was trying to think, like, who, who else has just left WWE or who is leaving, um, you know? Because at this time, people jump ship real quick, you know? Yeah. Like how Luger was in WWE one night and on Nitro the next, you know? Um, so it really had me thinking, like, who yeah. could this possible third guy be? And, and I like that it was kind of set up as, like, a... Team WWE versus Team WCW kind of match. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a good build-up. I mean, so, um, so uh, we'll get to the match itself. Um, pretty much, like, Raylan Bishop, nowhere to be seen, and I can't remember why he wasn't there. But, um, like, early in the night, though, they're trying to figure out who it is, and um, there's a bit where you got uh, me and Jeans outside, like, their room, and he's, like, kind of eavesdropping, and he's, like, going, oh, this, the third, I know there's a third person in there, sounds more, but he, he sounds really familiar. And he's going, dude, when you find out, you'll be like, He'd be like, oh yeah, that kind of more one. Because he interviews like a bazillion times for like both companies. Um, so when we get to the match, we got uh, Michael Buffer announcing it, who, or as I call him, like the million, the reason that WCW lost a fuck ton of money because I think it was on with Taino at the time. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm not really a big fan of Michael Buffer. I thought he was cool for like the. Uh... I, I always wanted him for the Royal Rumble. That was the only thing I ever wanted to see him involved in, was yeah. just to say, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, think, uh, I think the one time he did do that, and he, and he messed it up, he called, he, did, he, he now showed Michael, which is the heartbreak kid, and that was it. I think he was never used in WWE after that. Uh, 
<laughs> but um, yeah, so pretty much um, he does all the announcing stuff, and um, and obviously Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and Scott the Outsider did come out first, and everyone knows it's just all third man. The comments go, "What the fuck is third man like?" Uh, so they come in, because uh, as they're coming out, um, like both the girls, yeah, I've been told there's um, the third man's. It's just the two of them here. There's a third man. So, um, so the comments are going up. No, we, need, we want this third man to turn out now. Uh, by the way, the commentators are Shivani, uh, Tony Shivani, uh, Dusty Wells, and Bobby Heenan. And they're like saying, oh, we, we want the third man to come out. So they come out, and then me and Gene comes in. And I, it feel weird having like an interview after the entrance. You only get that wrestling. Uh, but they're like going, he goes to them, like, where this third man like? And um, they go, well, the third man's here. Yeah, don't worry about his hair. He'll turn up when he wants to turn up, kind of thing. And then you get uh, Lugas, Savage, and Sting all come out wearing like the Sting face paint and all that stuff. And um, and Richard, did you actually watch this match live at the time, or? I didn't. Um, right. I actually, you know, like I said, I was never big. WCW guy, and at the time, um, I you know at this point there was no other way to watch it other than pay per view, and yeah. I, I could I had to decide it was either WWE pay per view that month or WCW, and I went with WWE. So yeah, I had to find out about it after the fact. Yeah, um, so they come up with the thing, paint. Um, when the match gets the match starts, um, pretty much is, to me it's not there's not really much wrestling, and it seems to be a lot of punching and kicking and all that stuff. Um, so you get pretty much um, like Luger does a funk with a guy and that slash him out um, and he, probably one of the different bits about a few minutes in um, Luger gets on the apron clotheslines Hall and then Nash grabs him and starts like drawing his head into the turnbuckle and then Stingler Stingler's just like Stingler's flashed but he hits both of them and he hits Luger and he gets knocked out so he gets taken to the back he's now become fairly become uh, a normal tag team match um, so when you get, you get to that, um, it's really much like horse like slaps things and things, starts beefing them up, and um, it's kind of been through and through. It's, I don't know about you, Don, but it seems to be mostly punching and kicking in this match, which is a bit weird because yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's I kind of get like it's only really because it's not it's not. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, obviously, I think out of all that, group, probably Savage is the best one in terms of wrestling ability, but it's just the way it is. I think, I think, whilst I'm more fan of, like, the whole wrestling moves and stuff, and there's not really, and there's a lot of push and kick it, it kind of suits the story of this match because it is technically them invading and they don't want it to be there, they want to just beat them up and all that stuff. And the commentators are like, you don't really have, like, the whole, like, heel commentators, like, they all want these outsiders to lose, so. Perhaps it might suit the kind of match they're going for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it suited the match with the guys that they had in there. Um, yeah. You know, for me, really, when you look back on this, <clears throat> I don't think anybody remembers this really for the you know the match that it yeah. was. <laughs> it, I think yeah. the match was just the match, and uh, we we all cared about who was going to be that third person and how. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's a career. Get with some matches is uh, I think prime example is that is uh, the main event of Blacklight two thousand, and I watched that live. And uh, so it's like it's all about when when Steve Austin's going to turn up, he's, he's going to help the walk. 
And so he's like, the master himself was like, that's pretty good, but the trial didn't really care because they wanted to wait for that glass to smash and for Austin to turn up. You know he's going to turn up. It was more like when he was going to turn up. Um, so you kind of get that with this. Uh, pretty much, kind of back and forth a little bit. Uh, Sting does a small package, but the referee gets distracted, so he only gets two for that. Um, gets some elbows and stuff. Uh, by holding him and does his own stretch. Spend a lot of time like working down on Sting. Um, and then to wear down like super holes and like elbows and pushes and all that stuff. Uh, Last was a side hoop at some point. And then, um, but Sting does eventually get to tag in Savage. And Savage does a big thing. He has an accent hole with an axe handle, throws Nash, then throws him to Nash, throws out Hall, that does no axe handle on Hall. Um, and there's a bit where um, Hall had to strut to ref, so Rowan Nash low bows him. And so everyone's down. And this is where Hulk Hogan turns up. Um, so he comes out, and obviously the commentators lose their shit. Like, yes, yes, yes. Don't approach the scene, he's going. Um, like, whose side is he on, and all that stuff. Do you think that kind of ruined the moment? What um, he didn't say. That which part ruined the moment? When uh, when, when uh, Hogan comes out, um, he's like, he's wondering what, whose side is he on. I didn't wonder whose side was he on, to be honest. I mean, just because. Remember, the whole thing with Hogan is that he's always been a good guy. Yeah. You know? And he had been in WCW for a while at this point. And honestly, him have, having sided with Hall and Nash was probably the last thing I ever expected. Yeah. You know? And I, and I think that goes across the board for everybody. I mean, it's kind of like a Cena thing these days. And, you know, it's like, you know, if Cena came out, like, the last thing you would be expecting is that Cena's going to gonna side with the with the heels yeah you know <laughs> so yeah i mean i i honestly thought he's just out here to help wcw yeah. i never really thought he's the third man you know and uh boy were we wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah i think when he said that and they're like oh, what the fuck are you talking about that is part of that but you have to remember that he throughout his whole like kayfabe career i never liked hogan so he probably had that element of it going, like, what the fuck are you doing here? Who's side do you want to kind of thing? Um, yeah, the class of illusion shit comes into like, oh, I'm happy. Hogan comes in, Hall uh, and Nash go out the wing, um, walks around for a bit in the corner, and then does the leg drop to Savage. And everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's um, so weird. It's just, it's just a. Is it the way the crowd it? reaction, yeah. the trash getting thrown into yeah. the ring, like it was just insane. Yes. Um, so Hogan hits another leg drop on Savage, then throws the referee out. It's a third leg drop on him, and then he covers him, and, and Nash does the um, like no, sorry, Hall does the count for the free count, and Trish uh, goes, Trish goes, that doesn't count, that doesn't count, that doesn't count, um, and out. Pretty much Hall, Nash, and Hogan all celebrate in the wing while you've got trash coming in. It's the thing because I can't remember, is this the moment where a fan comes in the wing? Because I didn't see that on the TV, but I'm sure it happens at that point. Mm. I don't remember. Yeah, that's the thing because I'm, I'm sure, I remember there's one instant where like a fan comes in and like Nash just beats the fuck out of it, but I can't remember if it was that moment and they cut it out or it was another time, I don't quite remember. Um, but anyway, so, they, so while that's happening, um, me and Gene come to interview him. And uh, so before we talk about the interview yourself, did you think the, the preview would have, would have been better ended 
with them just celebrating, or do you think the interview helped help that moment? I think the interview helped because I think people were still in denial. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is Hogan doing? You know, and I think for you know giving that opportunity for him to be like, you know, here we are, brother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this this is the new world order of wrestling. You know, like kind of was like, okay, you know, like I think it just solidified and it helped clear up kind of the shock that was on a lot of people's faces that were yeah. like, oh my God, did we actually see, see a Hogan heel turn after like yeah. 20 years in the business? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, um, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, it's, but we don't kind of, two ways, I mean, it makes sense having the interview, but Palmer's is like, no, you want, you want the end of the cliffhanger and probably with the whole like TV was happening perhaps you go right end on end in that bit and say no I would say we've was going to happen like the next night kind of in the hell with the waiting but I mean kind of you can see it both ways with it um, and like you said earlier Hulk was like going like I've been like a heel I've uh, been in the face for years I don't feel you know uh, whereas in like where he calls us the elbow legend from the north we all know that's WWF um, he's a great mate he pretty much made money there he made the company and all that stuff and it was probably all these things by Ted Turner, who owned WCW at the time, and he didn't get it. And he talks about it's now a new world order of wrestling. And um, the match, well, some of the ends that this right here, brother, yeah, is the new world order of wrestling. Yeah, I mean, it's just a great moment. It's um, so you got that, and then I think I think my favorite bit is going to be at the end. So like. Me and Jean's like really pissed off. He's like, what the fuck? And he goes off. And she finally just goes, it's end of Hulkamania. And the last thing he says before he goes, like, um, you know, Hulk Hogan goes straight to hell. <laughs> I don't know why this has made me laugh a bit. Yeah. <laughs> just so well. Because it. Uh, it was such a disgusting moment that yeah, our real yeah. American yeah. hero, uh, you know, has uh, yeah, turned heel. Yeah, and I think one thing I find interesting is that this heel turn might never have happened. Um, because I don't know here too, but I think uh, Bishop was trying to get Bret Hart to come over, and that fell through. So originally Bret Hart was going to be the third man in NWO, yeah. and it was home necessity turns heel. Um, I was shocked about the. Um, do you think obviously it was a great thing, was it? Do you think Hogan needed that heel turn at that moment? Yes, Hogan at that point. Uh, was starting to not be the draw that he always was and I think people were starting to lose interest in him and the NWO revitalized his career giving him an opportunity to become Hollywood Hogan really revitalized his career you know I mean it literally gave him a whole second persona to go by and um, I mean it was great stuff man it really was and you know for me I mean, I, I loved Hogan, you know, as much as everybody back in the 80s, but I was kind of played out with him in the 90s, too. And when he became Hollywood Hogan, I was completely invested in him again. And I think that that's what happened with a lot of people, and I think that that was really needed for Hogan. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think for my personal history, my, the first match I ever watched for Hogan was the main event of WrestleMania 8. So I, I was like 10 years old when I watched this, and obviously beforehand heard how great he was, he was all this here. And then the first match I see is him facing Sid Justice and having the trap beat out of him from most of the match. And then somehow winning by probably the most bizarre destroyification of all time. So I was never really a big fan. But I do know when he moved up to WCW and at that point they booked him 
to such a fucking absurd level. Because, um, like, three months before that, uh, on says 96, I don't even watch it, but it was like this triple cage match. And it was a savage, but he pretty much beat every heel in the company almost single handedly. They pretty much uh, booked him to be like this god in a way because he was just beating everyone. Everyone was scared of him. There was one time when a Nitro where he had like people like, like Flair was the biggest heel at the time, but he had the point where they all like scared of him. So he just gets like down the knees going, no, don't talk. It's just, I think, whatever way, it's just, it's just, it's just the way the button was just absurd and perhaps the heel turn was the best thing that they, they could do with him. Um, so obviously he starts to form with the New World Order and they and pretty much like the month after this Hulk Hogan beats the Giant, also knows the big show now, um, to become the uh, world champion. Um, and then pretty much he overtook Scott Stark in 97, except for like six days, he, he stayed the champion for that's almost 18 months. Um, with the NWO, um, obviously it was very successful. Do you think, obviously, do you think the way they did it to begin with scored and then it's got too big for his boots, or do you think there's any way they could have made it better? Um, I mean, I thought the way they kicked it off was great. Um, I think that the group had room to grow but I think they did make it too big for its bridges. I mean, yeah. they they let everybody join that goddamn thing, yeah. and that was that was a little much for me. I mean, there was no reason that these like D-list guys should have been in the NWO. You yeah. know, as far as I'm concerned, it was a very top-notch, you know, faction, and it really like should have only stopped at top-tier guys like Macho Man and you know, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Sting, you know, like it really Luger, like it should have just been that top echelon of WCW guys um, but you know, it, it was an amazing faction, it's probably my second favorite faction of all time Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you can't deny what it did for this business um, I actually really enjoyed when the when they kind of split off the NWOs and you had the Wolfpack yeah. and then the black and white. Like I really loved the Wolfpack, man. I loved when Kevin Nash started off with the black and red and um, how they kind of almost had like the good guy NWO and the bad guy NWO kind of going on. And um, you know, and it was cool. And then it was cool to see its even even though it was very short lived, but to see its resurgence in WWE yeah. was a very cool thing. Like when especially because it was Hogan Nash and Hall that came back together after all those years, you know, when they re-signed with WWE. Um, and, and to see Hogan after all those years being gone from WWE come back as Hollywood Hogan <laughs> and actually be the NWO was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I wish it would have lasted a little bit longer. Uh, you know, they had to flip Hogan to a baby face so quick after that rock match, um, you know, and then... You know, Hall didn't end up staying around, and then they tried to same thing. They kind of got watered down in WWE by bringing in like Booker T and like some of the other guys to kind of be yeah. you know NWO, and then Shawn Michaels came in as like the kind of mouthpiece of it, and it was it was cool, but it just wasn't the same. But I, I liked that when they did finally make it to WWE, that it was that original core yeah. three again. Uh, that it was a nice way to make NWO kind of come full circle. Yeah, I think so. I think with the with me the end of the is that I know when I started watching it, it was like kind of just cause I, think I know they were kind of briefly formed in '99 and then kind of just died of death. And then they had the um, 
Eddie Lord 2000 with like Jeff Jarrett and Bret Hart and all that stuff and that kind of failed as well and then you had the thing with WWE I think my main issue with WWE is it got too big but you had guys who had issues of always like like Savage the Giant I think the biggest one was Eric Bishop because Eric Bishop was like the person they were against to begin with and then he ended up joining NWO as well it's like why would you do things like that uh, yeah, that never made sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and probably like also like Sting joined the Wolf Pack at some point as well. He was, he was always like he's always been like the the personification of WCW in terms of like the faces. Well, that's then, because it was the Wolf Pack NWO though, and they were good. Okay, <laughs> so Sting yeah. didn't mind joining it at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so and then obviously it, was, it kind of just fell apart in WWE. I think at one point, so like from a risk mode, like yeah, it's over, fuck it, kind of thing. It's been a failed experiment. I think I think it says what it is, a failed experiment. Yeah, so um, yeah, so um, don't we now to go briefly talk about like the SummerSlam this week and like the brand split? What's been your thoughts on how the brand split works so far? Oh man, yeah, great topic. I would love to talk about this. Um. I, I like it, uh, to be honest. I, you know, I was always a massive fan of the brand extension back in the day, and I was a little bummed out when they ended it several years ago. Um, so when I heard the rumors kind of coming that, hey, they're looking at doing this again, I was all for it. And um, so, yeah, I was waiting, 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 waiting for the uh, draft, and I thought they did a pretty good job. I mean, Raw yeah. is a little heavy. <laughs> Raw's definitely got the upper hand there for sure they're definitely a little heavier stacked um but for the most part i think they evened it out as best as they could yeah um the only thing i don't really understand right now is why are we still adding people to the raw roster like they just did with jinder mahal on monday when raw's already so much stacked over yeah. smackdown and on top of that, SmackDown keeps talk or Raw keeps talking about how they have the the cruiserweight division coming too. So they're gonna have all these extra cruiserweights on the show, as well on top of the regular roster. Yeah. So like, it kind of feels a little unfair to SmackDown. Um, but for the most part, I really really like it. My anticipation now is to get things really going full steam and to initiate all these new titles we yeah. we know we got this new wwe universal title coming to raw um to crown the first champ there with seth rollins taking on finn balor uh which i'm is like a dream match for me literally yeah, really of course that match as well yes seth rollins seth and finn are my two favorite guys in wwe right now and yeah. so the, the the fact that i've been waiting for you know the last two years for finn to get called up to the main roster first and foremost and then now that he did and he got pulled up in such a cool way with being like a top five pick for raw um and then first night on raw winning the fatal four-way beating roman reigns and earning his spot my fingers are crossed, man. I, I really want Finn to be the first ever Universal Champion. I think that would be awesome. Um, and I, I have a good feeling that it might actually go that way. Um, so I'm looking forward to that match. But then on the opposite flip side, we have no tag team titles and no women's title for SmackDown. And, um, and I think that that causes a problem. I know they're going to be creating one, but I don't like that they're being so kind of like lazy about it and acting like they're in no rush. You know, yeah. if I was a tag team, we're making such a big deal about American Alpha and all this stuff that have come to SmackDown. Well, 
what is the point if I have nothing to strive for? Yeah. You know, I need I need a championship, and they've been very coy about it. You know, and I and I know the reason probably why is because right after SummerSlam, like two weeks later, we got Backlash coming, which has been announced as a SmackDown exclusive pay per view yeah. on the network, and I'm sure that pay per view will be where they will debut their new tag team and women's champion and they want to save it for that you know for that pay-per-view and that's cool but at least like let's talk about it let's announce it let's kind of go forward with it and uh i just don't like how they're being kind of mum about it um we did get a little bit i don't know if you watched the uh new talking smack kind of show that they that they debuted over the uh, after smackdown this week i know no it's on the network it is on the network it's it's a new it's a new after show that they yeah. started for after SmackDown. It's a little half hour show and it's called talking smack. It's on the WWE network. And, uh, they were this, this week's episode had Daniel Bryan on it. And the question kind of came up about the titles because they were interviewing actually American alpha and American alpha said, you know, well, we're here to be the, the best tag team and to get to the top and all this stuff. And then Daniel Bryan finally was like, well, I guess we got to address the tag team title situation (laughs) since we don't have one. And he said, you know, we're me and Shane are talking about it and, and we know we got to get titles for the tag team and the women's we're just in no rush to do it and we don't want to just hurry up and come out with the wwe milky way tag team championship or something like that like you know like like kind of how raw did taking a little shot at raw uh talking about the tag team galaxy championships or something you know and uh he's like but we're working on it and and we're gonna have something for these guys so it was nice to at least finally hear something but that was on an after show that not many people watched you know so it's like they you know i I expected that very first night on SmackDown that they were going to come out the gate going, hey, we know we don't have these two titles. We're going to do a tournament. You know, yeah. they could start a tournament now and have the finals of the tournament be a backlash. You oh, know, yeah. so at least we know kind of where we're going with something. Because um, it is funny every time a tag team match happens on SmackDown, they keep talking about how we got a stacked tag team division and we got we got all these tag team competitors that want to be the best and I'm thinking to myself like be the best for what you don't even have a belt to go yeah. for <laughs> you know and I think they dropped the ball on that first night on Smackdown with the Divas because they had that segment where like Becky came out and Talia came out and then one by one all the all the Divas kind of came out and I was like okay everybody's out here right now perfect opportunity for Daniel Bryan to, or at least for the girls to kind of start complaining that there was no women's championship yeah. And then Daniel Bryan and Shane could have came out at that point and been like, ladies, listen, we we got some stuff working. You know, like it would have been a cool way to address it at that yeah. point, but that segment went nowhere and just went into a commercial break and it was over when the commercial came back. So, you know, that was a little weird. But but overall, I, I like it. I like that they are treating it well so far. I like that since it started – Raw has kind of a different look, a different stage than SmackDown does. Uh, That's a big deal to me. You know, I mean, that's been one of the things I've hated over the last couple years is that every Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-view, they use the same damn stage. Yeah. And I and I don't and I don't like that at all. I miss the old school pay per view stages where every month you had a totally brand new stage yeah. that you've never seen before. And there's just none of that excitement anymore. So it was cool that when Raw started, it had a new theme song, it had new graphics, it had a new ring. They moved the announce table up by the entrance ramp. You know, like like it was really cool. They did something different. And then SmackDown, same thing. No no entrance ramp. It's flat 
totally different stage setup, new graphics again. What what was really cool if you saw SmackDown this week, the new graphics they were doing when the wrestlers came out and it had the little sidebar yeah. come out with their face and it said like when they debuted and and career highlights and all this stuff. I was like that's a really cool thing to do that makes them different than Raw. And um so that was really cool cuz they didn't do that on the first night that they were live. So I know they're, they're tweaking things still. Um, you know, it's just it's a little bit harder for SmackDown because their roster is a lot thinner, uh, and they only have two hours compared to the three that Raw gets. Um, I do like that they've at least made the B shows, uh, like Main Event is a SmackDown show, and now Superstars is a Raw show. Yeah. So that's kind of cool that that the little two like B kind of side shows in the week um, are kind of holding the uh, brand extension with it as well too. Uh, so you get to see a little bit more action, especially on main event for SmackDown, because you have a whole another hour of uh, matches that are that's pretty cool to see. Um, so yeah, I mean, I really really dig it. I'm looking forward to SummerSlam. Um, you know, that'll be one of the full big four pay-per-views that will have both brands on it. But yeah. then I'll be looking really forward to seeing how they distinguish Backlash, and then how Raw is going to take, you know, whatever the following pay-per-view is going to be. Yeah. Um, and kind of start rolling with that. I mean, are we really going to be moving into two pay-per-views a month? It's starting to look that way, which would be kind of cool, especially, I mean, it wasn't cool back in the day when I had to pay 60 bucks for a pay-per-view, yeah. <laughs> but with the network, uh, give me more give me more pay-per-views every couple weeks if you want. I'll take it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think, I think one, of, one of my favorite events uh, was actually that network special when they did Roadblock. I know it was like, it, most of it was holding pattern, but I enjoyed that event and all that stuff. Um, maybe, I mean, uh, I think I do feel kind of thing because especially with the women's division, they finally because I guess like two three years ago it was it was a joke. And then Daddy Carmen with the drop forward that, and AJ became champion and started to get slowly better. And now they pretty much got with the most of the Deadwood, and it's probably the best it's ever been probably since the Trish and Lita era. And then they split them off. So I did wonder about that. I don't know. Well, I did wonder whether they do make the women's the tag team like a cross promotional title. Um, but perhaps it might be if they're going to go like more separate than if they did when they had the first brand accession, It's probably best to have those champ- no separate championships. Uh, yeah, I don't think they, they they don't want people floating. I mean, yeah. they, you know, they were, they were very adamant to explain during the draft that if they drafted a champion that belt was exclusive property yeah. of that brand you know so there was they never even made an even thought that 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 champ was going to float between shows or anything like yeah. that was like okay that belt is ours now you know so then you have to man if you're going to run these things as two separate companies i know there's a handful of people out there that don't like the idea of bringing more belts in but you know what I don't see why, because to me, it's like, I love championship matches, and if you're going to make me watch Raw and SmackDown as if they are two separate entities with two completely different rosters, they need belts for those guys to fight for, and I want to see those champions, and I would love to see a return of the real Night of Champions pay-per-view, you know, where you just have all the Raw champs, SmackDown champs, all in one place, same time, you know, Uh, I've even heard a rumor that they might be bringing uh, Clash of the Champions yeah. Um, back and uh, and if they do something like that, that'd be kind of cool to see like the Raw Tag Champs take on the SmackDown Tag Champs, you know, the Intercontinental Champion versus the U.S. Champion, the Universal Champion versus the 
the WWE champion. Like that'd be kind of cool to set up yeah. a special pay per view like that. That's like champ versus champ. So I mean, there's a lot of potential things that they could do there. I'd bring back the bragging rights pay per view also. You know, like that was a great pay per view for the brand extension. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, and I think briefly about the whole like Seth Rollins and um, Finn Balor match. Um, that's probably the match I'm most looking forward to. SummerSlam. Oh, of course, easily. Um, I do. I do wonder if perhaps Bailey, uh, Finn Balor winning might be him pushing him too soon, but he's got he's got the talent and for it, so perhaps it might be the best thing to do uh, with him winning. But we'll see. I mean, the point is, I keep it like no, keep it semi semi strong and let Seth one and win it. We'll see. Um, so um, don't forget for being on the show. Uh, where can you find him on the internet? Well, you can definitely uh, follow me on Twitter at DXTonMega. Uh, you check out my entertainment podcast. It's Am I on the Air over at AmIOnTheAir.com. Uh, and like you said earlier, the Red Dragons Radio Network's over at RedDragonsRadio.com. Uh, you can follow my show on Twitter at Am I on the Air? Uh, it's a weekly podcast every week, breaking down all the latest and greatest in TV and movie news. So uh, definitely check out Am I on the Air if you uh, want to keep up with what's going on in the entertainment world. Yeah, and uh, for me, uh, my my podcast is on loadofwesson.wordpress.com. Uh, my blog is on is on loadofwesson.blogspot.com. Uh, animated preview reviews, and also at the minute, I'm also reviewing the Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, I don't know if you're watching that, Dom, but you know, just brief summary of all the matches and all that stuff. Um, and I'm on Twitter at loadofwesson, all on one word. So uh, don't forget to be on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me again, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, and uh, thank you guys for listening, and goodbye.